Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to start today with the experience, a near death experience of Beverly Singer Rodsky. She was in a terrible motor- motorcycle accident. And uh, during her uh, recovery, or probably prior to much recovery having happened, she was just, I mean, distraught and, and damaged. And, uh, and so this is where we'll pick up, where she, she says a prayer um, asking Heavenly Father to, you know, help her to, you know, take her home, whatever, um, because she's just broken. And with that prayer, I rose up out of my body. And that was so amazing. I realized that I was me. I still had thoughts, actually much clearer thoughts than when I was in my body, and that I was still alive. And um, so, but then I went up to the ceiling of the room where I was staying, and I was met there by this angel who was like lit from within with a glorious radiance. And I felt um, like I knew him. And I, I, he was in, a, in an ethereal body like I was. And he, he took my hand, such as it was, and we went flying out through the window, which was overlooking the ocean. And, um, but I was not looking down because right up ahead of us, angled to the right, um, there was this inverted funnel. Um, People have called it a tunnel since Raymond Moody wrote his books, but it looked more like um, it had a very wide opening and narrow exit at the far end. And then we went into this this funnel or this tunnel, and it was like a portal to another dimension, um, a dimension with no time, with no space. Um, an eternal place. And as we were going, I could see far ahead um, this pinpoint of light, and it got, as, as we moved through the funnel, uh, it got larger and larger and brighter and brighter. And at some point, I was, I was out of the tunnel. And the amazing thing, too, was that I knew what was happening to me, I knew that I was going home, that I was going to the only real home we ever had. And um, anyhow, I was, I had been very angry at God for, I think I told you my big three reasons, um, also because of the Holocaust. And, um, I, well, being of light was, just pouring his unconditional love on me. And I couldn't believe it. It was like, well, he knows me, he, or he or she he was not really a gender, it was a, a, a presence. And um, uh, this being, I knew that he knew everything I had done. He knew what I had thought, and he knew of his anger, his hatred, and um, this righteous rage, the state that I was in. And um, and then um, I started asking him questions. 
And as I asked the questions, the answers would come to me completely, perfectly, and telepathically until I had no more questions because I got it. I understood why things were the way they were and that um, I believe that we have agreements and that's why we come into these bodies. We, we, have, um, we, we have agreements that um, we want to fulfill for the good of the whole and actually um, the golden rule is not just a little religious platitude, it's the way things work because there's this interconnection between everything and everybody. Um, and, well, then I, I realized that I didn't, I no longer had a body. I was just a pure consciousness. And um, the being of light took, took me on a journey across the, the, the universe. And there were many beautiful and amazing things. I saw, like I didn't see people, I saw the stars were like, um, were like alive and beautiful and glittering and um, and then we went into this other portal, this other um, entrance where all external objects vanished and um, we were now back in a primordial before creation and um, there were um, Um, before let there be light, if you if you believe in the story from the Bible, um, so um, and everything that was going to it was like a richly full void, like the, the plant plenum that the ancient Greeks talked about. Um, it contained the energy of everything that was going to be coming into being. And I believe the reason I remember this is because I, I remembered I had been that girl on the bed who wanted to die and said that prayer, prayer. And yet here I was, and I just melted back into the primordial unity of all life that, that is the ground of our being. Um, So I, I, so I remember I had said the prayer on the bed and yet here I was and I was one with, with God and with everything that will, will ever be created in, in any dimension or time. Um, it was just, oh, it was beyond, beyond any words or beyond the greatest joy that you could ever imagine. And like the intensities of your feelings are re really much more acute um, when, when you're not shrouded in a human body. So um, I uh, would never have wanted to leave. It was just perfect. But somehow I found myself back in my body. But I had all these miracles happen. Um, like I really didn't feel pain for six months. It was like during the, the toughest part of my healing, um, I was like hardly in my body. I was just, um, 
I was just in so blissed out. And I, I could see, I saw things differently than we usually see them. Everything was alive and had a consciousness. And moreover, everything had a heart. And there was this love that was in every molecule. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's just so sad that I shut it down after six months. Um, things were happening that weren't real, really good and I was like, like a baby. I loved everything. I loved everybody and um, I guess I couldn't really, really live like that and continue. But I believe that there is no death, that we, it's just like we go backstage um, with our usual troop of players who are in our, our, our lives and, um, and, and that life continues. It has to continue because we all go back to a oneness. So like even when tragedies, we feel tragedies happen, people die, people are in accidents, they just went to another place. And um, I've never been afraid of death. I'm not crazy about the dying process, but uh, um, I, hope that you, I hope that this, this sharing will have some meaning for people. Thank you. Very interesting. I find her description of the tunnel to be interesting and in how she kind of says, well, everybody calls it a tunnel. I call it you know, more like a funnel. And, and some of the descriptions that she gives, she, it's like she's taking um, the things that are familiar to people but saying, but that's not really how it was. It was more like this. And, and that just uh, illustrates to me how difficult these things are to talk about, not from an emotional standpoint, but just trying to describe them without any mortal context to work with. I mean, talk about funnels, they talk about tubes, they talk about caves, they talk about, I, I've heard of children um, describing, I, I went through this big long noodle. <laughs> what is that, you know, this giant noodle. And, and so there's clearly um, it, it's clearly not something that can be easily described in mortal terms. And, and I'm going to share another one. This is by a girl named uh, uh, McKaylee uh, from a conference, a uh, IONS conference in Los Angeles in October of 2007. And uh, she's going to describe an after an accident, uh, pretty much right after the accident, um, where she, uh, I'm not going to leave in the details, I'm just going to say she was in a vehicle and hit by another vehicle that was going 80 miles an hour, basically a really traumatizing um, accident, and she went into a coma. So um, that's where we pick up for her story. I don't remember the accident, but I do remember the life flight when they were putting me on a helicopter to take me to the airport. I opened my eyes because I could feel the wind, <clears throat> but I thought it was dreaming, so I went back to sleep. Uh, and then I didn't wake up again for seven days. They induced another coma because I was going crazy, and uh, it was supposed to only be in the coma for maybe 24 to 48 hours and I didn't wake up, uh, I flatlined. And 
I ended up being in the coma for a total of about 14 days. Um, when I was flatlined, uh, I remember being surrounded by a white, fuzzy light, and I was being held. Someone was hugging me. I couldn't see that person, but I knew I was with God or my higher power. I felt very pleasant. I wasn't afraid. I was, it was very comforting. Actually, it was probably the best feeling that I've ever felt in my life, in my death. I felt <laughs> my, my most best, or my best feeling. Um, and I was just kind of so content there that I wanted to just go to that place. I wanted to be with that feeling. And just as I was about to go, just you hear all the time people say, your life flashes before your eyes. Well, my life flashed before my eyes. It wasn't really what I expected. I, I didn't see actual people or physical things. It was more of the essence of everything, but it was very clear. I saw me with my grandchildren. I don't even have children yet. I saw me when I was younger doing things that I loved to do and playing and dancing and people I loved and it was all about the love. It was all about the love. And I knew that if I went to that place, I would be okay, but I would never have this life again. And I loved this life and I loved to live, so I started fighting and crying and praying, please God, don't make me die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, and I fought and fought. And I remember colors flashing, like the white turned into red and green and blue, and it was flashing, and I was just, I fought harder than I ever had in my life. And then I felt all at once like I was being sucked through outer space. It was just like So then I, I uh, ended up in the corner of my hospital room, looking at my body and seeing all my family sitting around, upset. <laughs> and I tried to tell them, <laughs> for some reason I had special powers that I could move around in this form. So I would go over to my family and my, and my boyfriend at the time who was 16, and I would say, I'm okay, you know, and I'd try to comfort them, but they couldn't hear me and it, I was so annoyed by that. And then I would get bored and I would go in my body for a little while and it would get too much, it would be too much pain and so I would come back out. Um, I got pretty comfortable being in that form. I would say now that I think back on it, I was probably in and out of my body for about a week and a half. Um, I would go to different rooms. My parents didn't believe anything that I was saying until I woke up one night and I went into my mom's room and I said, Mom, when I was in a coma upstairs, were you and dad and grandma down in the cafeteria and dad said this and you said this and grandma stood up and this happened and my mom just looked at me in awe and was like, how do you know that? And I said, I was there. <laughs> and she, just, she couldn't believe that I knew word for word exactly what happened. And I was like, I just remembered I was there because things came back to me over time. And I mean, it's been 13 years, so I'm getting pretty comfortable with it at this point. But it took a while for me to really understand. Um, I 
I, after I was in the hospital for about three weeks, three and a half weeks maybe, and they told me that I could go home. And uh, so I thought, or they told me I was leaving, actually, is what it was, and I thought I was going home. And then they put me on an ambulance, and my mom was on the ambulance with me, and my dad and my brother were driving behind, and I looked at my mom and I said, where am I going? Because I just wanted to go home and sleep in my own bed and make my own toast and do everything myself because I was sick of everybody doing everything for me. And she said, we're going to a rehab center where you can learn how to walk and talk and think and do your hair and play games and take tests. I had to learn all this stuff over again. And uh, I looked at my mom because up until that point, I would ask what happened and they would tell me and then five seconds later I would ask again. I didn't, it didn't sink in. I said, I'm really bad, huh? And she just started crying. She said, yeah, honey, you're really bad. And I said, I was comforting my mother. I said, don't worry, mom. I'll get better soon. And so I went to the rehab center. I was supposed to be there for a month, but I ended up getting um, released early. I got released in like two weeks. And um, when I left the hospital, they thought that I wasn't going to walk ever again. They thought I was either going to die or be paralyzed uh, for the rest of my life. And so I'm happy to say I'm here, and I love this life, and I'm glad I'm here sharing it all with you. And uh, hopefully my story and all of our stories will help other people have a little bit of a happier life. Thank you. So that was the near-death experience of Michaela Roser. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, some of the different descriptions given. In some of the previous near-death experiences we've shared, people have either had trouble getting into their body, or else they've not been, or, or else they've not had any choice in the matter. They're kind of just sucked into their body and that's just how it is, you know. But she had an interesting experience, and this might be the first time that I've heard of this where she is able to just kind of go in and out. I mean, she's in a coma. Her body is clearly still alive, still functioning, but not fully functioning, and she's able to slip in and out. She'd come in for a while, and then it would get uncomfortable and, you know, heavy feeling, and, and she would go back out again. And I find that fascinating and interesting. It it makes me realize that, uh, you know, with most of the questions we have, is it either this or that? You know, for example, is, is the spirit in the baby at the time of conception? Or is the spirit in the baby at the time of birth? Or is it sometime in between? And the answer from things that I've read seems to be, Sometimes, yeah, sometimes no. You know, it's like, it depends. And and to the question, can a person come back into their dead body? It depends. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes no. Can a person come in and out when they're in a coma? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> There's no hard and fast rules with a lot of these things. And I think part of that is that our hard and fast approach to life, our hard and fast ideas about things are a very generally mortal idea simply because you know can i walk through a wall well no not without putting a hole through it 
as a mortal, that's just not possible. As a spirit, well, it depends. Remember, there was the one account that we read where uh, somebody couldn't get into a ho- their house. And it was unclear. They didn't specify, admittedly. Maybe they never tried walking through a wall. Maybe they just never tried. Maybe they reached for the door and just couldn't get it. Um, and so they thought, oh, well, I can't get in, and never tried walking through a wall. But it kind of seemed to have the implication they weren't able to. Now, why? I don't know. Maybe there was something about going there that would make them not want to come back, and they really needed to come back, or whatever. But, uh, and and even some of the descriptions of people, you know, getting kind of upset at doctors or, or family members who are trying to resuscitate, and it's kind of disturbing seeing this violent activity, which is intended to bring the... Uh, body back to life to start the heart going or things like that they get kind of agitated as spirits you know they've got this mode of love and and kindness and gentleness and so they see this uh this person you know like violently beating on their body from their their perspective and they'll go and grab for their hands and they'll try to stop and they'll say no no stop i'm right here i'm fine and uh and one of such descriptions uh, specifically one that was trying to stop them. Um, Most of the time they just leave the situation because it's disturbing, but this time they were trying to grab their hands. And and it was interesting the description that they gave. I think we actually uh, read this um, previous week or something. They talked about how they didn't know whether their hands were just passing through or if they were just like missing. It was like they just couldn't get a grip or something. And and it, it makes me think it's not just as simple as one thing. You know, it may be that most of the time we just pass, uh, as spirits, we just pass through stuff. But it could be at other times we're repelled in some way. You couldn't grab because repelling in some way. And that sounds weird. You're like, what, about, what do you mean repelling? What, you know, like some kind of reverse magnet or something? And... Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I mean, we talk about people being drawn into this light as if by a magnet, and and often they're rushing toward it because they want to, and other times they're trying not to, but they're going anyway, and so there's not this, there's not really hard and fast rules with most of the questions that we have. Do people eat in heaven? Well, yes, no, sometimes, maybe, you know, People have recorded eating, eating wonderful food in in heaven. And then others have said, you don't need to eat. <clears throat> Which makes me think that sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not necessary. Whether it's not possible, I, you know, probably if you reached for a McDonald's hamburger because you died in front of McDonald's and you go to reach for the hamburger, probably not going to be able to grab that. But there may be some spirit hamburger. Now that brings on a whole, you know horde of questions about well where does that hamburger come from some some spirit cow or something and again we just don't know there seems to be so much of of um, of you know sometimes this is the case sometimes that is the case it kind of depends on the individual it depends on you know just all these depends things which is to my mortal mind, uh, aggravating, and yet 
in the spirit world, it seems to be the normal way of things. And it kind of makes sense. If you're in this body that has this eclectic nature that can travel in an instant, or it can fly quickly, or it can walk, or it can talk, or it can, you know, communicate non-verbally, you know, through uh, um, telepathy of some sort, or whether just ideas are just, boom, you know, packaged and sent over in a whole idea. It seems to be that all are the case, or can be the case, depending on the situation. And so, to any question that sounds like a contradiction, we're left to say, well, we've, we've just got to keep studying these things so that we can see the similarities, the commonalities, the differences, so that we can start shaping something of an idea of what life is like on the other side. And I think what we've accomplished so far is incredible in terms of establishing what we know about the spirit world. Uh, there are there are people there. They can embrace a very physical feeling embrace. Um, they can also pass through things that are in the mortal world. Um, they can hear and see a greater spectrum than we can hear. They seem to be able to comprehend in their minds more than what they're able to hear. There are buildings, there are houses, there are places of learning, libraries, there are landscapes of every sort, from meadows to deserts to forests to jungles to uh, uh, lakes to streams to... Uh, I'm still looking for an ocean, but I suspect there's an ocean. And, uh, and so, you know, you've got all these different landscapes that are very similar to what we have here and yet go far beyond. It's like they've got everything we got here plus a ridiculously amazing, awesome amount more. And I just think that's awesome. So with that, thank you again for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.